when you get to the professional level, everybody works hard. There's this range of everybody has a certain amount of physical fitness, but it's that mental toughness that kind of sets you apart from everybody else. That's Ben Canute, a professional triathlete and US Olympian. I'm Ed Gibbons, co-founder and product lead of Rewire. And I'm Sun Sachs, co-founder and CEO of Rewire, and this is the Rewire Fitness Podcast. Welcome. On this podcast, Sun and I discuss with Ben the mental demands of competing on the world stage, as well as some of the ways he trains, recovers and monitors his mind and body in preparation for a race to ensure that he is ready to perform. We dive into Ben's journey to where he is today, as well as his obsession with some of triathlon's hardest and most unique races like Escape from Alcatraz. So let's jump right in. So welcome to the podcast, Ben Canute, professional triathlete, US Olympian at the Rio 2016 Games, three-time national champion, and a new dad. So congratulations on that. Yeah, how does it feel? Oh, it's great. I mean, it's it's uh, it's a journey and still figuring yeah. things out, but we're having a lot of fun with it. And my daughter's amazing. So she just brightens up my day. Awesome. So we just wanted to take you back to your start as we've been talking about kids. So back to your start as a, a seven-year-old uh, boy, seeing your dad compete in the triathlon. What do you think sort of captivated you at that age to the sport of triathlon? Yeah, I almost look at it, uh, I guess there's about two starts. There's one where um, I have one of my earliest memories, super young, watching my dad race at the Chicago Triathlon and just seeing him zoom by on the bike and kind of getting the uh, bug there and then watching him throughout the years until, you know, finally at the age of, you know, eight or nine, getting to hop in my first triathlon and try it myself and just finishing the race and just being excited about it. I got to do what my dad was doing, what I watched some of these guys do on TV um, and just kind of loved all aspects. I was on a swim team at the time, so I had a little bit of experience in that and enjoyed swimming. And then I thought the bike was super cool. Just you get to go fast, you can push yourself. It was just, it was a lot of fun. And um, I don't know if I'd quite fallen in love with running, but it was part of a triathlon. So I still really enjoyed that. And um, yeah, I just think it was the combination of being an awesome event, plus just having good people in the sport and watching it throughout the years that really got me to be excited about it and fall in love with it. Awesome. And then can you share your sort of journey from being a kid that loves triathlon to now a professional athlete and Olympian? Yeah, I so I did that first one when I was relatively young and had a couple years of just doing the local kids triathlon, um, which is kind of organized by uh, my parents a little bit and then some other local triathletes. Um, and this is just west of Chicago where I grew up, which just so happened to be a hotbed of triathlon. There were a lot of people doing it out there. There were quite a few local races. So a kid's race was kind of the next progression. And then there was somebody who started a uh, local kid's triathlon team. And he took his experience in the um, age group swimming reign where it's all kind of Olympic focused and started doing that for young kids for triathlon and had this dream of getting um uh some of the kids to the olympics in 2012 2016 2020 and so on and competing there winning medals and all of that so he took that philosophy and we joined up uh pretty early on and i was 
racing in the the youth system for about a year before we got into youth elite and junior elite, which is the Olympic style draft legal triathlon. And that started for me, um, you race the age you're going to turn that year. And I got lucky enough to have a December birthday. So I was racing basically a year (laughs) younger, but that was good. It got me into the sport and racing this draft legal stuff at 12. And from there just was a quick progression. And um, between the team and USA triathlon and my parents and all these mentors and stuff, I was able to kind of accelerate through that program to, uh, kind of skip ahead to, uh, when I took my professional card in 2012, um, it was after my first year of college and wasn't actually going to take it, but got an opportunity to race as a professional overseas in Europe and kind of jumped at that opportunity. And that's what really showed me what it would take uh, to race as a professional on the world stage and what it would take for me to eventually qualify for that 2016 Rio games. Awesome. And, and so it sounds like a great journey and along that journey, what do you think some of the moments and achievements that you're, you're most proud of? Uh, well, I mean, I think there's, there's quite a lot, there's a lot that happens in that time too, but um, there's a lot of wins, but, some of the proudest moments I think are overcoming something. And one that I always tend to, to go back to is um, right before qualifying for the Olympics, um, I kind of made my name as a swim biker and then holding on for the run. And r- the Rio course, they always have a test event at the Olympics a year before. And that course was like supposed to suit me um, in being an open water ocean swim and then a, a really challenging bike course. And then the run course is pretty flat. And a lot of the guys who are around too, there was going to be a breakaway. So I think um, I expected and maybe a lot of others expected to qualify at that race and uh, had really good training, had a great build up to it, but just completely had a terrible race. And then um, had to really kind of reevaluate how I was looking at things and started working with a, a sports psychologist and just started racing and and approached a process oriented instead of goal oriented, um, kind of goal driven process and, uh, started having better and better races, which culminated in the final race to the lead up to Rio where we could qualify at. And I ended up running my way onto the team, which I don't think anybody really expected at the time. So, um, I'd say that that one kind of sticks out the most being like somewhat recent and just having that really low the year before and then coming back like eight months later and having a, a pretty high high. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, winning is great, but overcoming adversity and exceeding your own and others expectations, that's even, even better. Yeah. And it kind of taught me too, that, you know, I love winning and I hate losing even more, uh, <laughs> but having like, a way to be successful, even if you can't hit those outcome goals is pretty important because sometimes you could be your absolute best, have almost the perfect race, but some people are just better than you at the time. And you kind of have to accept that because if you don't like that can eat away at you and it's just, it's how sport is sometimes, or you could have some bad luck somewhere. So I try and put a lot of my energy and focus into executing my processes. And then I feel like when I do that, you know, more often than not, I'm a, I'm a tough competitor and someone who's hard to beat. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. We want to dig into that for sure. Um, one of the things we always like to ask athletes, you know, being a, a neuro performance company, it, and this is fits right into your story here. Um, sort of, if you had to 
rank the importance of mindset uh, to your overall performance? Like if you had to put, let's say a percentage on it, what percentage of your performance is mindset? And then just speak a little bit about how important that is to you. You know, um, I, I've been, I, I listen to podcasts and I listen to a lot of, you know, really smart and good athletes talk. And I've heard percentages everywhere from 50 to 90 to 99%. But what me and my coach talk about, and maybe I can draw a percentage out of this by the end, but it's, he, he says a lot and he's coached high school swimming um, and has worked with me for a while now, but he can look into an athlete's eye, like on the block and know if they're going to do well or perform their best right there, because if they're confident or not, if they believe in themselves, you can kind of see that too. And that's how we base kind of our whole training is, uh, especially when you get to the professional level, everybody works hard. There's this range of everybody has a certain amount of physical fitness, but it's that mental toughness that kind of sets you apart from everybody else. And some people are really, really good at that. You can see it in every race they do. So I would say at the very least, it's a 50-50 split um, because, you know, everything that you do in the training, it's all built up to having that confidence on the start line. And I'd say we, there's another saying too, is you'd rather be like 80 or 90% fit and hundred percent healthy rather than hundred percent fit and like 90% healthy on the start line. And I think that that mental kind of plays into that too, because you don't have to be your absolute fittest, but if you believe in yourself and what you've been doing, then that sets you up for success. Whereas if you're doubting yourself on the start line, then you're, you're already kind of handicapping yourself. And it's a game that I think we always have to play because you look back and you want to have done everything that you could do and training isn't always perfect. So you just have to be confident in whatever work that you have put in, where you're at and what's going to happen on the day. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's hard to articulate the percentages, but clearly it's a yeah. very important aspect. Like it's the differentiator in, in a lot of cases. Right. So, yeah. Um, I mean, you talked a lot about your preparation. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe you could get into some details around that, just in terms of how you make sure when you get to the starting line, you feel confident. Like, what are those aspects, whether they be physical, mental, preparation, visualization, all that stuff? So I think in talking about the physical aspect, I think that going through your training and having workouts that simulate racing and workouts that I've done each year leading up to big races or can at least compare knowing that, hey, if I hit these certain numbers or if I'm in this range, I kind of know like I've had success when I've hit those numbers before and when I've completed this workout. So, you know, it, it makes sense that I would have success after doing that. So that's a confidence builder. Um, and then within each workout too, like the big goals that I have for the year are always in, in my mind at some point, whether it's a good workout, it's, it's framing everything in kind of a positive mindset in like, this is how I want to feel during the race. I'm putting myself, you know, where I'm going to be in a, a escape from Alcatraz or the 70.3 world championships. Like this is the, the moment when I'm racing that race, I want to draw on this moment with how I feel. And then if it's a bad workout, you know, I kind of think of those as almost mental toughness workouts. Like, can I push through it? As long as, you know, I'm not, uh, missing the point of the workout, as long as I'm still getting in some sort of stimulus and I'm, I'm completing it. Cause sometimes there is that decision of if it's worth it right now, my, is this a detriment or not? But if it's a tough workout and I'm struggling, uh, I'm trying to frame it as like, 
this is what it's going to feel like on race day sometimes. Like you can't always feel 100% perfect. So I'm trying to find tricks to keep staying in there, like just make it to the next light post, just count seven steps, just do whatever you can to build that mental toughness, build tricks, focus on your cues, your form, all of that. Because obviously when you're racing, like I've had races where I do feel great and it's awesome. But like, there's a lot of times when you just don't feel good at all. And especially in every race and you have to have kind of those tools to focus back on. And that circles back a bit to the process goals of holding on to your form, making sure your arm carriage is good. Your knee drive is good. Um, pedal stroke is smooth, all that sort of stuff. And, um, that's kind of that aspect. And then, uh, there is, uh, some stuff that I do for the mental side specifically, um, in talking with the sports psychologist, um, some of it's just writing stuff down, keeping, you know, a mental journal, training journal, making notes of successes that you've had that you can flip through the night before and just be like, this is all I've accomplished, give you that extra confidence. And then I've always liked to incorporate in visualization or just um, thinking about the race. And, you know, sometimes it's just, if I'm just sitting around hanging out, sometimes it's right before bed, but like putting myself in the race for how I want it to go is kind of the first step. And then once you have a good handle on that, it's going back and kind of figuring out what would I do if stuff went wrong? Because racing is all about staying calm and just executing what you can with what you're given. And there's been a lot of things that have gone wrong for me. And I feel like I've done a pretty good job at staying calm through those and just making the most of just getting through that section. Very interesting. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, one last question. I'm going to turn it back to Ed. But um, do you allow negative self-talk to come in when things start to go bad during a race? Like, how do you deal with that? Because we all kind of have that demon, yeah. you know. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if I allow it, but it's definitely there. Uh, I think, yeah, every like you said, everybody struggles with it and it can come through. And um, honestly, like, it's just taking it and it's trying to rephrase it. And it's also sometimes just being realistic with what's going on too. Like you can be a realist with yourself, like, wow, this is terrible right now, but you can rephrase that and just like set a different goal. Like this year I've had some really good races to start the year in where um, I stayed within myself and I raced my race and I was able to close on people who were struggling at the end and just kind of, you know, take a moment where like, okay, I couldn't hang with this person right here. And in a lot of years, sometimes that might have, I kept go. usually you go backwards when somebody passes you and you don't ever find that person again. But I was able to take confidence from, you know, the numbers I did in training, looked at what I was doing in the race. And I'm like, okay, this is sustainable. And then as I got closer to the finish, was able to keep getting faster and faster and turning up and uh, catching those people. Um, but then there's a contrast to that at another point where, you know, from the very beginning at one of the races just did not feel good at all. And so it was a constant battle even to just stay in the race. And sometimes goals have to shift and it was more about completing the race and putting in a good effort and, you know, seeing that course and finishing it and uh, taking all of that info from that race and then learning from it. Wow. Yeah. It, basically, if I was to summarize it, it, it feels like it's just building a lot of resilience to whatever happens. You know, you just deal, you just learn how to deal with it and adapt. Right. Yeah, definitely. And that's, that's what racing is, is because 
everybody can race well when things are going perfect. When you feel good, like I, I like to say sometimes too, like there's two different types of pain. Honestly, there's a lot of different types of pain, but there's like, there's like the good pain where like when you're in the flow state and you're like, okay, I can take more of this. Like, let's just keep pushing. Like it feels almost good to have that pain. And then there's the pain where it's like your body is just revolting against you. And it feels like everything is just like almost on fire, just really tough. And that's, that's the pain that's hard to push through. And, you know, I, I always hear like champions, it's, it's how you deal with adversity that makes a champion. It's not necessarily that they always have the perfect race. It's just that they know how to, to deal with things when something goes wrong, when, you know, you're, you can't get your shoe on or something falls, you lose your nutrition, you don't feel good and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. And in, and in those moments or any sort of positive self-talk that you use to, to get yourself back on track, any specific mantras you use? You know, I think mantras are, are pretty personal and it's, it's, it's for each certain person, um, what they want. Yeah. And so, um, I don't always have one that I go through, but, mm. um, like one of the ones that I've liked recently is I can take more. And I, I just that. like that one. Cause it's, it's kind of true. It's like, you can always take a little bit more, like no matter how you're feeling, there's always that like extra 1% that you can give. And that's where it's like a little bit mental where it's like, you feel like, okay, I always just want to leave that last little bit. Cause I, I like a sprint finish too. And that's where that, you know, I can take a little, yeah. I can take more kind of comes from as well. Cause you sometimes find that within you to just like, sprinted out at the end of a race when you didn't really know that you had anything left but it just kind of rises up from inside of you yeah absolutely it's always something physically more but the way we unlock that is is mental and uh, yeah completely agree there so you've said that you always train to be better uh, no matter the distance what do you think your biggest strength is as a triathlete uh you know i think my strength is my strength um i have nice. uh the way that i i race um I've raced everything from really short stuff up to half Ironman so far. And, um, obviously in the longer distances, strength is a little bit more apparent in being able to race for just about four hours. Um, that's kind of that resiliency that gets you through to the end of the race, being able to finish strong, but maybe where it's not as uh, apparent is in the super sprint stuff where you're going all out for 20 minutes. I think it takes a certain type of strength to sustain that effort that's basically all out for 20 minutes. Um, and I've always had that nice, like basically holding on at the red line. Um, I feel like I've always been able to kind of find that sweet spot right there. So I think that's kind of it along with just, um, I, in my opinion, I feel like I'm pretty mentally tough as well. And I think that kind of, kind of plays into the way that I race. Absolutely. And, and in sort of finding that sweet spot, when you're in your training, what kind of metrics are you using uh, both objective and subjective uh, RPE data points too? Yeah. So each sport kind of has its own little, I guess, benchmarks and in swimming, I've been a swimmer my entire life. And, you know, I, I use the pace clock. It's pretty, um, you know, it doesn't lie. So there's no real metric to determine, you know, force in the water or anything like that, or real effort. So that is something that I just feel like I've learned to feel for over the years. And I kind of know like, okay, if I can swim, you know, a double O for a hundred at this pace and short course yards, like at this effort, like I know I'm pretty fit at that point. Or if I do an all out 500 free, like I know the kind of the time range that I can be in for where I'm like, okay, that's I'm fit at that point. 
Um, for cycling, uh, pretty normal use power. Uh, we do a lot of yeah. training based off of power. Um, overall, we haven't really done too much heart rate wise because we've just found that, you know, power for us on the bike has been really successful. And same thing with running. Um, we use pace quite a bit, but a lot of times we use the running power meters and we've been using it for a few years now. And it's, I've liked it because it gauges effort in a way that, um, you know, whether you're running against the wind up a hill, downhill, you know, it's, it's a number that won't really lie to you. Whereas if you're doing mile repeats and you found like a slight downhill, you might be able to crank yes. out some, some pretty quick miles and kind of <laughs> trick yourself into being like, okay, that's, that's a fast mile right there. Like that works for leg speed, but like having that and then even being able to go to a hilly course and just have that metric of like, it, it works a bit in a way of heart rate for some people, because, you know, if you like the start of the world champs this year is about like a mile or two uphill right at the beginning. And if you look at a normal half marathon, we might try and run, you know, five, 15 miles for most of it, but you can't do that when you're going straight uphill for two miles. And it's, it can be, you know, frustrating or, um, daunting i guess to look down at your watch and see six minute miles and be like well i know by the end of this i should be running a lot faster so where am i making up that time and just having that power to know okay i know on this course if i hold say like 350 watts like then i'm pretty good like i'm not going to overextend myself right at the beginning trying to run this stupid fast pace up the hill so those are kind of the the things that we we look for and um then I guess effort, like that's more on me is uh, the RPE is just determining like kind of during the set, after the set, how is this compared to, you know, how I usually feel. And that kind of comes secondary a lot of times because as if you're hitting the numbers like training, you're going to have different fatigue loads and, and all that sort of stuff and different stress scores. So um, you kind of have to not put too much weight on how you feel because you can't put too much weight on how you feel in the race. So that's why you have some of those like objective numbers to kind of balance that out. Interesting. Yeah. When we developed our readiness assessment, uh, we always saw it as monitoring is nothing without a solution. And uh, that's why we built in this sort of personalized recovery sessions that come off the back of that, because of course you can, um, you can wake up and be in a terrible state one day or just not feel on form, but you might still need to compete. And that's where we really built in this tool that gets you in the best state possible. Um, so yeah, that's it kind of builds back into what you're saying. Yeah. And you need, you need some sort of balance between how you're feeling and what the objective data looks like, Definitely. And, you know, it just gives you another lens, another perspective, right? And it's all about perspective. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? for sure. You got, you got to tell us what's your deal with Alcatraz. We love the race. Uh, you know, uh, it's definitely in our bucket list, but you know, you've, you've already won that three times in a row. And I think you're going after a fourth in a couple of weeks, right? Yeah. So I, I've raced it four, won it three times in a row for the past three years, um, with obviously, a, a break in 2020. Um, and yeah, going back this year and it's one of those courses that, uh, is, I guess I, I love it and it's pretty special because I feel like it goes back to the roots of triathlon. Um, it's one of the classics, I would say it's in its 40th year this year. It's gone through, um, 
kind of a number of adaptations, I guess I'd say, uh, as they've held the race, but been about the same course for quite a while now. And it's one of those where it's like, we're going to drop you off at the island and we're going to swim to that beach over there. Then we're going to bike up and over and through this park, just kind of going over all these hills and everything. And then it's like, we're going to run out to the end of this beach and back. And never mind that, you know, it's like straight up, straight down, right in the middle of an eight mile run course. So um, it goes back to that kind of, I don't know, pioneering days where they didn't really care about how fast your time was um, or traditional distances. It was, we're going to make this race hard. We're going to make it memorable. And we're going to make the course just as challenging as the competitors that go do it. So I love that from the beginning. Um, you look at the the winners list. There's a lot of names who have had a lot of success in triathlon over the years. So um, it's just got a lot of great history and it's scenic. I could kind of go on and on as you could tell about like what I like about the race, but Honestly, when it comes down to it, it's just a, a really awesome course and it's fun to, to race on. It sounds like there's also this component built in of sort of uh, mental toughness or challenge that you that that you really like. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the swim is unpredictable. Um, I've had every everything from like a, a very calm swim to something that's like unbelievably choppy and wavy. Um, and the bike course too, it's like a, a series of pretty steep hills. Uh, and it's just, it really, it's all about breaking it down and it's just taking each thing, um, one at a time. And the run course I think is the most bizarre, I guess, or challenging out of anything. Cause you have flat fast, then you have stairs that you run and then you run straight downhill and then you run on the beach for like half a mile to a mile. You go up what they call the sand ladder, which is basically like a glorified sandy staircase it's it's like just basically logs i think to help erosion so that it doesn't disappear uh and then you basically run their course backwards so uh it's just breaking it into chunks and it's kind of just not letting the course you know scare you at all because um it's no different than i guess racing on a flat fast course but it's all just keeping that comparing like whatever using your numbers to your advantage but also keeping your effort in check so that you can attack each kind of obstacle that you come across. Just to focus on the the swim, which is, sounds like the most sort of unpredictable element of it. How do you prepare for that level of unknown and unpredictability? Yeah, I think staying calm is the biggest thing because the water's cold when you jump in, it's about 60 degrees. Um, and then you can't really, depending on the weather, like you can't see the shore. Um, it could be really foggy. So you just kind of know, like, I got to swim that direction. Um, and there's also a current which varies each year, which they time it so that it's pushing you in the right direction. But it, if you don't cross the river, as they say, get across the current, um, you can be swept out under the bridge. So it's kind of timing that, like, I want to go directly to the beach, but I have to aim a little bit, you know, differently to get in there. And yeah, it's just kind of, for a while, like they do a really good job. They have a ton of safety personnel out there. So it's, it's hard to like, you know, swim to Marin County, like to go way off course, like to the other side of the bridge. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's a little bit nerve wracking or it can be a little bit like daunting to like be trying to sight towards something and just see like the gray fog ahead of you. So, um, I'm not exactly sure what the weather will be like there, but I kind of just prepare myself to just know, like, 
you just got to kind of swim sometimes. You just got to trust. And then, you know, as you get closer, you adjust for any maybe mistakes that you made early on in the swim. Um, but yeah, I think it's just about staying calm and, and not panicking and not thinking too much about uh, who or what is swimming with you. Because <laughs> I know everybody likes to bring up the sharks in the San Francisco Bay. So. Of course they do. Oh, man. Um, are there certain courses or conditions that make you want to double down, sort of that push against your grit and make you really engage? It sounds like this course might be like that. Yeah. You know you know, I, mean? I think I just like a hard race. Um, yeah. And I like conditions, I think, that nobody else likes. So um, I think the heat is one that, you know, I, I might have the most to kind of work on and improve on at times. Um, the heat can be challenging. But I've always liked racing in the rain on hard courses. Uh, I, I don't really mind like cold weather races usually. Um, but yeah, I mean, some of that stuff, some of the just like the stuff that you go and you sit down and you have a beer with somebody and you're like, man, you're not going to believe this race that, that I did or that you're not going to believe the conditions. Like those are kind of the ones like that you can kind of smile and you laugh to yourself during the race. Like this is crazy, but like this is pretty awesome at the same time. Nice. I see uh, maybe the swim run world championships in your future one day. Yeah, the, those are always race, pretty cool. The 28 islands you go across and super choppy, uh, cold river, yeah. uh, ocean water. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> yeah, those are nuts. So that would be cool to try someday. Very good. Awesome. So we've talked a lot about pushing your body super hard. Maybe we could talk a little bit about recovery and sort of how you approach that and what's most important. Yeah. So, I mean, starting from when, you know, a hard workout ends, like getting in the nutrition right away is important, but then I have a, a whole host of recovery devices that kind of help me keep my body in check that I can use myself to, uh, I guess, do prehab as I like to call it. Like it's not rehab because I'm not injured, but just preventative maintenance. Um, and I, I see a physical therapist and massage therapist pretty frequently. And then on top of that, like you talk about all the different stresses that happen. The training is the easy stress. That one you can, you know, look at directly on your uh, training plan and see like, oh, this is how I've done. This is the stress score that I have, or this is how I'm feeling. Um, what's not always taken into account is sleep, work, any other stresses that you might have, family, um, that sort of thing. And that's where... Like sometimes it's nice, like I find myself just wanting to, to switch off and not do anything, like whether it's, you know, just whatever, like my, my wife is a yoga teacher, so I've done yoga before and I've really liked the breathing aspect of that. Um, sometimes I think it's, it's tough to go and dedicate a full hour um, to something, to anything, especially after you've done a lot of hours of training, but always feel better after doing yoga, after uh, doing one of her classes. Um, and then on top of that too, I've done meditation in the past or taking naps, even just anything. Sometimes to just shut the brain off is good. Like, um, and hanging out on the couch. So it's, it's funny because, um, my parents always say that I I've ruined, uh, work or school or something from people that I've lived with before, because in the morning <laughs> they'll see me on the couch having coffee and they'll go off to work. And then I go and do all my hard training. But by the time they come back, I might be sitting on the couch <laughs> in like the same spot. And it's like, 
oh no no no! i actually worked really hard today so um that recovery i feel like i've got I, i've always tried to take recovery seriously and resting um, i'm somebody that can go 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 but i do know too like uh last year i didn't have the stress of you know having to be race ready to race uh throughout 2020 and so in addition to training i was able to do projects around the house and be able to do other things and that sort of stuff really wears on you too. And living in Phoenix and in the summer, if you're trying to move or do a project on the house, like that heat drains you too. So um, it was a good reminder that, you know, training is not the only stress that you have to, to worry about. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Um, kind of parallel to what, what we always focus on is the negative impact of cognitive fatigue, which are yeah. all the things you're describing. Right. And that's something as athletes, we don't always think about you're very mm -hmm. tuned into it, it sounds like, but you know, that directly impacts your perception of effort, right? So you, if you have a lot of stress, you have a stressful day, you're worried, you're moving, you're doing, then you go out for a workout, it's going to feel that much harder. And oftentimes yoga is great, meditation's great, but sometimes that doesn't fit into the lifestyle where you don't mm -hmm. have an hour to commit. And that's the other reason why with our uh, mindset system, we incorporate breathing, sports psychology, a bunch of cool, novel, interesting things like priming, but they're short, five yeah. minutes, 10, 10 minutes. You know, mm -hmm. what a difference five minutes of mindfulness can make when you're completely stressed out, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I know the yeah. whole like calm down, take a deep breath is feels terrible when somebody says that to you, like when you're <laughs> frustrated, but sometimes that even something as simple as that, like really helps. So I like those sorts yeah. of tools too, because you can't always, um, I guess, change how you're feeling, but you can try and you can adapt. And I mean, you warm up for uh, a training session before you actually hit your interval. So it makes sense that you do that too, like with your mind and get to the right place before doing a hard workout. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we, right. we tracked the the sort of subjective improvement across those sessions. And um, one of our most popular ones is two minutes long. And we see a huge subjective improvement across the board of our athletes. And it's amazing that you can get that kind of level from just uh, two minutes of stepping out and focusing on our session. Yeah, um, even because we also track heart rate. Uh, for me, when I do that, I often see like a five to eight point improvement in my HRV. I'm spending wow. a couple minutes just doing some breathing and now I've shifted, you know, my physiology. I mean, <laughs> you, yeah. you know, you could, you could go in stressed or you could go in calm and it makes such a big difference, you know? Yeah, definitely. Uh, what, if we may ask, what was interesting about what we're doing or, you know, sort of our mission, are there some things that felt aligned to, to sort of what you do or what was interesting? Yeah. About um, that? No, me and my coach were very data driven and it goes back to what we were talking about earlier because data, you know, helps us analyze and be better training, but it also helps support confidence going into races. So we try and pull in all that we can. And I pass off a large part to him because he's the, he's the guy that can analyze and creates my training. And, um, it's why I don't do it myself because, you know, paralysis by analysis, like kind of let somebody handle some of that and put your trust in them. Um, but we work with, um, something called today's plan where he puts up all my training and that had a lot of subjective ratings on there already. And so I thought it was interesting, 
um, especially looking at the app to to have something that's a little bit more objective to measure that cognitive fatigue and to see like, am I ready? Am I not? And just, you know, depending on how long I've used it, how much, you know, weight I put on that at the beginning versus now and everything, but like, at least you just kind of give a bullet point just to know going into the session, like, okay, that makes sense because I feel pretty tired right now or, oh, that's interesting. I feel good, but like, you know, I'm a little bit slower than I'd usually be um, on the app. So um, I just thought it was really cool to try and like um, make it objective rather than a subjective feeling. Cause subjectively for me, I never really want to say, oh, I'm completely cash. Like you can look at all the subjective things I've done and it's rarely ever like I feel absolutely terrible and it's rarely ever I feel absolutely great. It's somewhere in the gray area in there because, you know, you always feel like you could feel better. You always could feel worse. So um, I like that objectivity. Yeah. And you raise a good point about um, just sort of the relative difference of how everyone subjectively assesses themselves, whether it be in the moment on that day or just in general, like you're not going to go really to one extreme or the other. Um, we spent a lot of time with beta testing, evolving the algorithm. So what it basically does is it calibrates your range based on, you know, uh, that baseline trend over time. So whether you're, you know, obviously the objective data around the cognitive testing or whether you're putting in some of the subjective uh, measures that we're asking, it's adjusted to what you normally sort of that range you play within. So for example, as Ed knows, when I'm rating my level of frustration, which is a part of the NASA TLX scale that we use, um, I almost never say I'm frustrated, like it's zero every time. But when I say two, I, I'm off the rails. There's a big problem, but that's two on a scale of a hundred, right? So most yeah. people are like, I, we have some athletes, they're like 30, 40 every day. They're frustrated. They're, you know, and I'm like, yeah. if I'm even a little irritated, there's a big problem. <laughs> yeah. so the system has to differentiate that, right? It can't treat yeah. everybody the same. Uh, that's, that was a really interesting insight working with uh, folks like you and many other athletes to sort of learn the system has to be very personalized, you know? Absolutely. So we're coming off the back of, uh, a year of pandemic, you know, race shutdowns, uh, disruptions to training schedules. How have you managed to sort of stay positive and motivated and on track um, during this last year? Right. Um, so luckily, the sport of triathlon, like especially in the U.S. here, we had a few opportunities late in the year to, to race and just um, kind of see where fitness was at. But early on when we saw a lot of the stuff you know, getting canceled and we didn't have to be race ready. We tried to go and focus on and take that opportunity to train in a slightly different way and just focus more on the run, let the swim and the bike kind of fall back just a little bit um, and see how much improvement we can make. And I feel like that gave a lot of motivation. And it also let me kind of take a step back to and be like, okay, I'm, I'm training, but you know, I don't have to be perfect in everything. Like I can relax, enjoy. We had a baby on the way. Um, so we bought a house too. So there are a lot of little projects kind of going on other things to distract me. So, um, we made the most of kind of like, I don't want to call it a sabbatical for me cause I didn't take off at all, but it was kind of like a, a bit of a reset where I didn't have to be a hundred percent on and, looking at like, okay, like I got races coming up. I got to be super fit. I got to do this, that it was more like, okay, let's just kind of break this year up into chunks. Let's focus on some good training. 
um, and let's be ready to really hit it in 2021 and as races come back. So I think that in some aspects, like I, I mentally, I think that that was fantastic for me. I think that physically in some ways it's taken some stuff to come back just a little bit longer. Um, and honestly now like with triathlon, we've had a lot of racing opportunities already. So some of that, it was like figuring out, like, let's get back into the racing swing of things. So there was, um, quite a bit early on in the year. So now I think we're kind of in the swing, have stuff dialed and, um, getting towards, I think, uh, another pretty busy part of the year. Absolutely. Yeah. Sounds like you've got a, a lot of exciting things going on with the baby, the new house and everything like that. Um, so sort of building off that, what do you think in general motivates you? Um, well, I think that if we're speaking big picture, it's, it's being the yeah. best person I can be. Um, I want to push myself and see how far I can go. And, um, I might've mentioned this earlier, like I hate losing. I really don't want to lose. I draw on that <laughs> even in training, but honestly, like at the end of the day, as long as I can be the best triathlete, best father, best husband, all of those things across the board. And I can go through. And if we're talking specifically about racing, if I could hit all of those process goals and feel like I left everything out on the course and I did all I can do, you have to walk away, you know, mostly happy with that. Obviously, like there, there's an example in 2018 at the world champs um, for 70.3, I finished fourth but it was behind arguably three of the greatest triathletes who, who were racing it, it of all time, honestly, but especially at the time. Um, and I, I honestly couldn't have executed any differently at that time. So like I, I had one of the best races I could have put together. And so it was like that feeling of, you know, I was, I was happy with it. That was a great race. That was everything. But like you just missed out fourth place is a tough place to come in. So you kind of walk away. It, it in that situation, though, I feel like more often than not, it drives you because you saw success and you see that trajectory that you're going on and you got to be able to pull positives out, even if it's, you know, a result that the outcome that you weren't looking for. Yeah, absolutely. And in those races where you haven't won and um, what, what do you think is frustrating about that to you? Is it that you haven't been able to overcome challenges or or that things have gone wrong or what, what do you think's the frustrating part about that i think that i have high expectations for myself um and yeah i mean i go into every race wanting to win um obviously the bigger the race like the more um you know the chances are that there are other good people like a world championship i i love racing world championships because you get to go up against the best <laughs> in the world and you get to measure yourself against you know everybody else who wants to win a world championship too. Um, you know, I think sometimes like when it hurts the most is when you come out and you look back and you, you go, you know, I mean, coming up short is never good, but maybe having those, if you not expect to win, but like, it's man, I, I'm not quite at my full fitness level. So I could take positive and like, this is, this is the right direction. But I know given different circumstances, man, I could have crushed that race. Like, so there, there's a little bit of expectations and tapering it as you build because you can only peak so many times. So for me, a lot of times, I think it's patience. I can get impatient and I want to be fit and I want to be fit now and through the entire year. And I want to crush every single race. 
And sometimes that can happen. And I've had streaks where I can race three weekends in a row and I can, you know, get on the podium at all of them or win all of them. Um, but then there are times too, where it's like, you know, one race is really good. One race, you know, didn't quite go uh, like to the result that I wanted. And then maybe I bounced back for the last race or something. And, you know, I, I think you can look at each of those races and you have to be able to pull positives out of them because if you just beat yourself down, then, you know, it's, it's only going to hurt you. But um, that's kind of the thing. It's, it's picking out those positives and then going back and seeing what could I have done better? Because even though if you hit all your process goals and everything, there's always something you can do better. So I'm my harshest critic. So I think um, <laughs> even if I win sometimes, if it wasn't like if I didn't hit everything perfectly, I'm still like, oh, I want to go. I want to change this thing. I want to tweak this here and that. So um, I, I think it's always a, it's a fine line. Like it's there's a there's a lot of times and it's for different reasons why you might be disappointed in a, a result or. Um, you know, in, in how you went about it. Absolutely. Yeah. I think we see that trait in some of the, the highest performing individuals. So it's, um, yeah, not surprising at all. Um, and we sort of talked about this world stage, world championships, but you're also at the Rio Olympics, uh, five years ago. What did that mean to you to compete for the U S team at the, the Rio Olympics? It's something that's hard to put into the words. Um, it was a dream come true, and it was an amazing experience just to to race the the best in the sport at the highest level of the sport on that day. Um, and yeah, it's always an honor to represent my country, and that was just uh, a great opportunity. And um, honestly, like that was definitely at especially at that point in my career, like couldn't believe how fast those guys were going. Um, and it just, it, it always resets the bar, you know, when you race a big, you know, Olympic games, world championships, um, no matter. And people are always raising the bar in this sport. Uh, it's pretty amazing. And you just have to, you know, try and keep up or try and be that one that's raising it. And, um, it's, it was definitely, it was a learning experience and it was just a lot of fun too. Absolutely. And sort of on those races that go well, when you get into a flow, how does that feel when it all comes together and you're and you're successful? Oh, I mean, that's that's what we all search for is that like flow state to be in that the whole time. And, um, you know, it's it's just like when everything clicks, like whether it's sport or like if you get in a groove just with whatever you're working on and you're just kind of like zoned into it, it's like zoning in, but also zoning out. You're there, but it's also like you're you're not not that you're not fully present, but it's like, you're not fully aware of some of the other things around you. I guess you're just completely focused in. And I think that, you know, it's, it's tough to hold that the entire time. So you just try and draw on it the best you can. And, you know, when, when it's really tough, when the race is really hard, it can be even harder to get into that state, but that's where, you know, focusing on the process and just finding the rhythm which I think is a big thing in, in racing is just finding that rhythm and sticking with it. That kind of helps you get back into it. And um, yeah, I just think it's, if it's one of those where you're just like feeling like the pain is just almost feeling good. Like that's what you, you race for. That's like that runner's high and everything that people talk about. That's, that's what you kind of search for. And um, I think that 
the perfect race is kind of elusive. You're probably never going to have it, but I think that's what everybody's looking for is that perfect race. You hit the flow state the whole time. Everything just flows easily. And um, yeah, that's, that's kind of why you keep racing. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's an amazing state to be in. And what you just said there reminds me of something that the England rugby coach Eddie Jones says, which is this sort of concept of the perfect game and always chasing that perfect 40 minutes, uh, good break, then another perfect 40 minute half. And it might not be achievable, but it's, it's something that you're chasing the whole time. Um, yeah. And yeah, absolutely. And coming back to sort of getting in that flow state, the, the times where I've been able to achieve that quite recently have been using our, some of our recovery tools like our binaural beats have been really helpful in, in getting into that state. And especially the 13 Hertz beats when I'm going to get into a focused flow state, just putting them on passively. And it's incredible. The sort of subjective change that can occur. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You can, in training, even you can use them. Yeah, which is pretty interesting. You sort of counteract some of the stressors that you're feeling while you're working out. Yeah, um, no, that's awesome. It's like having your uh, mental coach kind of with you there because I think that can be <laughs> the hardest part sometimes is figuring out um, when or how to use some of these things. And like somebody can tell you, oh, well, when you're out there, you know whatever, count your steps or find this rhythm or that, but being able to have that in your ear, being able to do it during a workout is, is pretty useful. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. In an earlier podcast, we talked about this, uh, uh, Alpine climb that I did where was, uh, trying to reach a peak, um, in Northwest and, uh, it was three days. I only had six and a half hours sleep. And of course on wow. the last night, with only six and a half hours sleep, you wake up in the middle of the night or you just get up in the middle of the night in my case, and you got a summit and then you're up for 12, 13 hours. So like, what do you do? Um, and originally we designed the system to work offline as well. So basically there's no connectivity, but instead of sleeping, I was just listening to those binaural beats back to back <laughs> to try to get some kind of cognitive recovery, to feel calm so that when we got up in the middle of the night, we could execute, you know? Yeah. So there's lots of lots of use cases. That's awesome. <laughs> you yeah, need, that's super you need cool. something. Yeah. Um, all right, we're gonna do a, a quick round of definitions. All right. Pers personalize it, whatever it you know you're just sort of how you feel about it. Um, so, what does resilience mean to you? I think being able to continue going, like no matter what happens. So just being able to, I guess use like a boxing analogy, just keep taking punches and being able to, to go to just keep coming back up and keep answering those. And what do you mean by answering them? Just being able to keep pushing forward. If we're going to continue with the boxing, being able to, you know, throw punches back on top of that. So being able to, to take something and continue to come back and keep moving forward. Nice. What about determination? What do you feel like when you hear that word? I think, uh, I think about, I guess for me, it's focused, like goal oriented a little bit. Determination is really like kind of focused in. And if you're determined to do something, um, you're not going to let anything stop you. You're not going to let anything get in your way. Nice. How would you describe that kind of calm state you're talking about when there's all this chaos around you, like you're in the in the ocean and there's waves like what is that calm state like how do you make that happen 
I am, I mean, I think I like the flow state. I, I use calm to describe it because I feel like that's kind of like uh, people would think that's the opposite of how you'd feel during a race where a race is really hectic and there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, I like calm, peaceful, um, just able to be like kind of thoughtful too, able to make decisions as something comes up. Like it doesn't matter. Um, you know, in the middle of a race, if, you know, somebody crashes in front of you, or if there's something that like you drop a water bottle, you make that decision and you go, I'm either going to pick it up or leave it, or I'm going to go around this person. It's, it's almost like, um, if you're really in that state, it could be almost like slow motion, I guess things are happening that way. Yeah. That's a, it's an amazing feeling, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> like a, like a superpower. <laughs> yeah. El elusive, but a superpower. Uh, okay. So how, how about tapping into that dad strength? Yeah. Uh, how, how, how's that how would I define that? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think, you know, it's, it's funny. Like you, there's all these books, everybody will give you advice, um, on what's it, what it's going to be like to be a dad or to, to have a, a child. And, um, it's one of those things that's really hard to describe, I think that you don't really know what's going to happen, how you're going to handle it, how it's going to go until you're actually there doing it. And uh, my wife and I have talked about this too, like, you know, the sleepless nights or when you're <laughs> tired, like you, maybe you have a five hour workout day or a long work day, and then you come home and the baby's crying or whatever's happening. It's like, you just have, there's like an extra reserve inside of you that you just kind of find. Like, it's something like, well, of course I want to take care of my daughter. Of course, I'm going to do this. Like, there, there's no way I'm not going to wake up for her in the middle of the night or, you know, help her out if she's crying or anything. And, you know, maybe two years ago or something like I maybe would have been on the couch or something like that, or I would have been reluctant to get up to go to the kitchen. But now it's just kind of like, well, yeah, of course, I'm going to get up. Like, you just find that <laughs> extra strength within you. And so, yeah, I think you can apply that to, to racing or work. You have like that extra little something inside of you when you're a dad or mom or whatever. So a parent. That's proof right there. We got, we have more than we think, you know? Yeah, <laughs> more exactly. Capacity. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Ben, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Um, I've absolutely loved it. So yeah, thank of you course. very much. Great to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me on. That was fantastic. All right. Best of luck with Alcatraz. Go crush awesome. it. Yeah, thanks guys. I appreciate it. It was great having Ben on the podcast. Since recording, Ben has won his fourth consecutive win at Escape from Alcatraz, represented Team USA at the Collins Cup, and won at Ironman 70.3 Oceanside. Congratulations, Ben. We're so excited to announce that we have now launched Rewire. To find out more about how you can unlock your ultimate performance through our new human performance platform, visit rewirefitness.app where you can sign up for a seven-day free trial.